Hey guys, welcome back to this week's podcast. We hope this week's message inspires you and encourages you. Be sure to check out our website to find out more about us. Here's today's message. I want to be part of a good church. And it's not just because I work for the church. Because I would want, like I've wanted it all my life. I'd want it anyway. Um, And I bet you, you do too. I reckon I went to seven different churches up until I was in my late 20s. And then I became a pastor. And it was actually at the church that we were going to at the time, Deb, my wife and I. And so I had been part of seven churches, including that one. And now then I worked at that one. um, And this is now the third one that I've worked in as a pastor. So I reckon that's 10 altogether. So I've been around the block a few times. And I've seen and heard a bit around church traps. And I've also done and said my fair share too, you know. And, um, you know, Paul joked before about, um, you know, the right hand of fellowship, I think it was. Um, and, And if you've been around Baptist churches, one of the things that Baptists are famous for is for the members meeting, isn't it, you know. And I've never, ever seen it here at this church, but I'll tell you what, I've... I've seen some sights to behold at church members' meetings. So how about you guys? How about everyone out there? Did you, did you wise up a bit along the way about this church thing? All right, did you get a few ideas? Now, I wonder if you ever came across issues or thought about issues in churches like some of these sorts of things. If you tried to weigh up, you know, what's, uh, what, what's this church think about the mutual support that we should give each other and you compare that with competition where we're really striving against each other. Or if you talked about, say, humility and sacrifice on the one hand or the pursuit of status on the other one. Heard them talking in churches, remember? (laughs) Like I can see a few nods of the head and some big wide eyes out there. Um, what about, what about, did you hear in church, did you hear a church talking about marital fidelity comparing with marital infidelity? Or perhaps talking about and discussing and doing things around caring for the needy and rejecting materialism? You get that in church or have you experienced some talk or some teaching or some discussion along the way if you've been around church about what I mean you know like what we call spiritual gifts and and not just the gifts but their appropriate use for serving others you know because when you learn about spiritual gifts in the Bible you realize that that is the purpose of them to serve others all right Um, what about just talk around church of the value and the sanctity of the church. This thing we're doing right now, what it really means. Or future accountability maybe for present actions. What's the implications in the future for what I'm doing today? And anyone who's been around church for even a little while, You've heard, haven't you, about excuses and misuses and abuses in church, 
Now, now worse still, many church people have experienced those, you know, the excuses, the misuses, the abuses. Um, many, many people have experienced them firsthand. Or even worse, people have perpetrated them. Now, but we, we wouldn't have any perpetrators of any of those things here today, would we? There would not be one among us, including me. No excuses, no misuses, no abuses. We don't do that sort of thing. <laughs> Now, by and large, um, I was gonna, I've got written down here, we reckon we've got. Like, uh, maybe I, it's more, more honest to say, I reckon we've got. Like, do we reckon we've got, we've got a pretty good church here at Mill Park Baptist Church. Who thinks we've got a, not bad? It's an enthusiastic response, you guys. So, um, Nowhere near perfect, this church. Plenty of faults and foibles, and, and we've made more than one mistake along the way. But overall, not bad, right? So too, friends, was the ancient first century Corinthian church. Now, in raw form, this was a good church. But if you look below the surface of this church, there were a few problems there. Like, now, all things they were that, that if you called them out, then they could be improved and fixed with a bit of work and a bit of wisdom. But all things that could cause destruction and damage as well, if they were let go. Because we know, don't we? Like, we know from little things, big things grow. So if we leave little habits untended, they grow into big habits and they don't need too much fertilizer to grow. So here, here's Corinth. Look on the map. Got my pointer so I can point it out for you. All right, I love... Who's happy to see the pointer back in action? I won't point it at you guys. Here's Corinth, see? And you can see, like, this is a... And you can recognise some, some of the land mass of there. So Macedonia up here and modern day Greece. And you can see here Corinth, it's the little brown dot. And if you're looking on that screen, there it is there. All right. Um, and uh, that's Corinth. And, all right, so that's, that's where Corinth is. And this, is, this here, this little, this little um, thing along here, because this is the peninsula, um, this little thing here is called the Isthmus. 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 And, um, and Corinth, right at the end of that, in a really strategic place, all right? So, um, Corinth, all right? Major port city, you can see that there. Population around about 100,000 people. Um, it is in a, as I just told you, at the end of the Isthmus. Um, it's in a strategic, economic, and military position and trade location as well. Leading city in the province of Achaia, which is this province here leading city in that province. It's the residence for the Roman provincial governor. All right. The city's under, the, 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 the world at the moment is under the rule of the Roman Empire. Now, when a city gathers momentum like that, um, then it attracts the elite families. People want to go live there. Um, and, and in the first century Roman Empire as well, it's just widely accepted that there's, there's always, there's, anywhere you go in the empire, there's a disparity between rich people and poor people. But this city, Corinth, is known where that, where that disparity is even more pronounced. 
And so it's known there. It reminds me perhaps of a place, you know, like as, as many of you know, I've spent a lot of time in Manila in the Philippines. And in Manila, the, the disparity is there, but it's really shocking and really confronting because you can see like an absolute, like, like a palace. And literally right beside it, there can be someone living in a cardboard box. Like, like it's right there. The disparity between rich and poor. Um, and like what easily happens today too, uh, there's a church there in Corinth, all right, um, amongst like religious diversity. And so for the city, the patron deity of that city, Corinth, is the Greek god Aphrodite. It's the ancient Greek Olympian goddess of love beauty, sexual pleasure, and fertility. And it's also, Corinth, it's also a major sanctuary of the Poseidon God. And then there's a whole conglomeration of other different cults that are there. Getting a picture of the city. And the church there in Corinth was founded by the Apostle Paul. And it was on what we call his second missionary journey, somewhere around 50 AD. He'd been to Macedonia and Athens. You can see them up there, up the top. Um, He'd been to Macedonia and Athens before, and then he went to Corinth, started the church there. He stayed there for 18 months, served God in establishing and nurturing this new body of Jesus followers. And then he'd left, he'd gone on with his work. And by the time he writes this letter that we're going to look at for the next little while, by the time... forgot, sorry. Um, By the time he writes his letter, he's now over in Ephesus. And he's actually on his third missionary journey now, and it's three or four years later. All right? And anyway, with the church, just like um, we just sort of said, we reckon it's not too bad of a church here, um, like what easily happens today, what is good, if we let little problems creep in, it could become not so good. And from little things, big things grow. So the ambitious culture of the city and its people, emphasis on status that's so clear in the colony. By the time Paul writes this letter, those things are infiltrating the church. Now, have you ever seen, have you ever seen ambition or status on display in a church? or the educated elite in Corinth, raising their expectations. This is coming to the church too. So these people, they want more than, they want more than preaching. They want state-of-the-art oratory and philosophy. So you ever, have you ever heard someone say, I had a dollar for every time that I heard someone say, and I've probably said it a million times myself before I was a pastor, we're looking for a church and we just want you complete it for me. What do we want? Well, there's two things that we want. We want good worship and great preaching. preaching. Thank you. <laughs> Who knows? Was that, was that Sam that said that? So Sam, have you been saying that? You want good worship and great preaching? Yeah, <laughs> but was there good worship and great preaching? Yes. There oh. <laughs> <laughs> Says the man who this week announced that he and his lovely wife are going to have a baby. (laughs) 
How good is that? So friends, um, these are some of the reasons that Paul wrote this letter to the the church. Now, it's in our Bibles. You get your Bible out. It's in our Bibles today. It's under the title. We, we see it today, 1 Corinthians or 1 Corinthians. Um, and so, as I said, he's in Ephesus. He's writing it, but it's, it's actually written as a letter. And it's in response, firstly, to some specific issues that are raised by the church. You see this. It's actually in the book of 1 Corinthians. He actually says in chapter 7, now about the questions you asked in your letter. So they've asked him some questions. And also he's responding to, because there's, there's word around the traps, so to more informal, anecdotal information that had reached him. And see, so really, listen in now, the, the sorts of problems creeping into the Corinthian church, they're not too dissimilar at all to situations that are easily faced by most churches today, especially in a city like Melbourne. So we figured now, in the, in the vital setting and time of our church's existence and life and growth here, Mill Park perhaps, now was the time that we'd take a journey. Now don't be scared by this, we're going to take a journey right through the year. It's actually going to go for the whole year. Now we won't be doing 1 Corinthians every single Sunday. It's going to be on and off um, and we'll, we'll have some times where we jump out for a couple of months, like, you know, like, like say around Easter time. Come alive, it's going to be, you know, and then we lead into May, Missions Month. So we've got all sorts of things. We've got growth season coming up. But for the year, our theme, 1 Corinthians, why do we want to do that? Because fundamentally, because I do, but it's not just because I do, because I know you do too, we all want to be part of a good church. Don't we? Now, that, now, that, now maybe, maybe you didn't want to say yeah to that because you thought it sounds vain, sounds selfish, sounds worldly to say, I want to be part of a good church. But think about it. Like, why wouldn't I, like, why wouldn't you, like, want to be part of a great church that's actually seeing lives changed for the better by the good news of Jesus? Who wouldn't want to be part of that? So, Paul's first letter to the Corinthian church, down to its simple best. Here's the message of it. It's friends, it's above all, love. That's the message of 1 Corinthians. Letter that celebrates the good that's happening while it also calls out the not so good. Packed full of all sorts of learning for any church, any church at all. And you know that good church that we all want to be part of. So... Let's get right into it. I love reading about the best, the best of the best. And, and like my thing, I'm a fanatic, I know, in sport. And, for, and, you know, like I love to read about really good sports people. And fortunately, I get to personally know some of these people, elite professional athletes. It's my role as, as chaplain at Richmond Football Club. But not just those people that, that I have the fortune of getting to know, but like the, you just... Have you spent like even 20 minutes watching the Winter Olympics? Like these people. What about Ash Barty? Who watched Ash Barty win the final? That's a limited number. Man. Ash Barty, that girl, like this, this, superhuman desires not just that she's a good tennis player because she, she is but the thing that really inspires me about her is her fierce desire to win she's going to win no matter what now <laughs> the funny thing is 
you know, when it comes to competition and people who have just got this great sense of competitiveness and, and a lot of these elite athletes do, um, I have that too. Has anyone ever experienced that with Pastor Jeff? Like the competitive, and there's a dark side to that too. Um, the problem with me is that my ambition has always been mixed up with my capabilities, right? So I've got this great ambition to win, but it doesn't translate too often into actually winning. And um, my family makes fun of me. We, we used to play this game, it's called, it's called Greed, and um, we've still got it, we haven't played it for a while now. And, um, and then the family would all make fun of me and they would do it in a Canadian accent, you know, because what I'd say, like whenever I play greed, I always burst out of the blocks and I'm winning after the first couple of hands, like every time. But then I get taken over every time. And as my family would say, I never get to win. Like that, that, that would make fun of me. You know, for this whingy, whiny Canadian accent, I never get to win because I don't. Now, if you like good, do you ever wonder, like me, well, if we want to really be good and if we're determined to be good, what is it, friends, what is it that makes a church good? How does a church get to be good? And if a church is not good now, can it, ever, can, it, can it get good? Imagine now, like, so you live in Corinth, first century AD. You're in a life group one night. They, I think they called them life groups there. It, it, and it's not Corinth Baptist Church, though. It's just Corinth Church. And Pastor Catherine is the, is, the, is, the, is the pastor at Corinth Church. Just imagine, she's the pastor for life groups, right? Awesome pastor for life groups there at that church. And, um, and now she's still the pastor for life groups at Mill Park Baptist Church 2,000 years later. Um, and she's just done a little video message and it's gone out to all the life groups that night. And, um, and then everyone's had their tea and coffee, they've relaxed. And now you're in your life group, you're sitting around and before you're gonna start the study for the night, we'll just read out to you the Apostle Paul's letter. And we read it last, like last weekend when we were in church together or in the, the, the temple together, when we we're in the synagogue together, we read Apostle Paul's letter to everyone. But now we're reading it again because we want everyone to hear what's in it. And the letter starts out, got your Bible, it starts out in really standard and acceptable form for any letter of the time, not just the letter that would make it into the Bible, any letter. This is just the way that those letters would be written. And this is, there's nothing remarkable about the way that Paul starts it. This letter is from Paul, he says. He is chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and also, not just from Paul, but from our brother Sosthenes. We're writing to the church of God in Corinth. You, have been, you who have been called by God to be his own holy people. He made you holy by means of Christ Jesus, just as he did all Christians everywhere, whoever calls upon the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and theirs. May God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ give you his grace and peace. And so when he adds in the bits about Jesus and grace and peace, he's adding a Christian tone to the normal way of starting a letter. So 
We're naturally wired, don't you think, as people, we're naturally wired to look for good things. Because good things are satisfying. And like we enjoy them. And of course, we do that for our church. And if our church, like if our church is a good one, then we love it. But if it's not so good, then we're easily not so enthusiastic about it. So here today, as we start on this journey, I'd like to ask you, what's actually the healthiest way to view church? Because you don't need me to tell you. You got a lot of options out there about the way you should think about church. You got a lot of options. So if you want a good church, look now in verse four. Here's what the apostle Paul says. And it's not just to the church in Corinth because this is now made it into the Bible. So this is God's word for the church. All right, look what he says. I can never stop thanking God for all the generous gifts he has given you now that you belong to Christ Jesus. He's enriched your church with the gifts of eloquence and every kind of knowledge. Now, Paul's, Paul's like me, you guys, or it's probably better to say I'm like Paul. Um, he is, like, he's really proud of the Corinthian church. He means what he says. Like, he's not just thankful for them. Like, he's real thankful. So when he says, I can never stop, in other words, it just keeps on coming out. I'm super thankful for these people. Me too, for this church. I really am. For the generous gifts he's given you, Paul says. For the generous gifts he's given us. He uses the word there, the Greek word for gifts. He uses the word kariti. Um, it comes from the Greek word, the root word charis. And we talk about charity today. The spiritual gifts, that means. But it's, it's more than just the spiritual gifts. It's the resources. It's the knowledge. It's the passions that he's given you. So when it comes to this place, how many times over the last two years when we've only been allowed to have five people here in the building? And obviously, not that I'm not preaching every Sunday, but I'm preaching a lot of Sundays, and so oftentimes I've been here. And how many times I've looked around and, and I'm the only staff member here out of those five? Who are the other four? They're all of our volunteers who've got way more expertise. Like, seriously, friends, I don't even know how to turn that computer and that light switch on up there. And if it was left to me to have live streamed our service and to work out how to do all that stuff during COVID, our church would have died. And I'm not trying to be silly because I've just, like, I'm just not, I'm not clued in at all on that. We got guys and girls who are now experts on that. They were already, already relative experts, but then they skilled themselves up and we bought equipment. And for the first several weeks, Ramon, our brother Ramon, he, he calls us and he offers and we actually, we actually do our studio for Mill Park Baptist Church in his study at his home. And we buy all this equipment. Like They're the generous gifts God's given us. Those sorts of people. Maybe you saw recently my post on Facebook. Take a look at this. I'll just take a little, little shot of it. Our friend and brother, Shane, right up the back there. There you go, Shane, my, my dear friend. Did, did you read my post about Shane? Because here's this guy 
who I know personally. And Shane, you're not all good. Because you're crazy about Carlton. And that shows that you're not in a balanced state of mind. I didn't ask you to talk back about this, Shane. And that electric scooter that you've got now and had for the last 18 months or so, you go way too fast on it. Have you ever seen Shane going on that? Like, don't get in the way. The scooter has a name. Yeah, what's it called again? Jemima. Jemima, that's it. Jemima the scooter. Um, They're the only bad things about you, Shane. (laughs) Because I wrote there, you know, Shane has cerebral palsy. And so you can see that just to move out of that seat where he's sitting now is a monumental effort for the guy. And Shane has other conditions as well, which which we don't so much always talk publicly about, but Shane's got more than just one challenge. And yet I've never ever heard a negative syllable come out of his mouth. You're going to give one now, are you? We love you, Shane. We love you so much. That's good, Shane. That's, that, that's so good. Shane's here four days a week. And Shane doesn't come up on stage and get everyone to laugh at him and clap at him, but he cleans toilets. And... The little poem that I referred to there, Sarah Williams from the late 1800s, where she wrote, Is it true, O Christ in heaven, that the burdened suffer most? That the mark of rank in nature is capacity for pain. Get that? So in other words, the higher your capacity for pain, the higher you rank in nature. Well, I'm telling you now, Shane, if the mark of rank in nature is capacity for pain, you outrank anyone I know. Anyone I know. You certainly, hopelessly outrank me. You better. I'm going to bring a penalty notice book to church and fine you for going too fast, Shane. So you know what Paul's saying when he says, I can't stop thanking God for all the generous gifts. You know, like, and, and we could name a whole lot, couldn't we? You know, like, it, so, so the good things that he's given to you. Um, and, and then did you see there that, that he said, um, now that you belong to Christ Jesus. In other words, you didn't have those things before you, you knew Jesus. Now that you know Jesus, then God's given you all these generous gifts. Um, friends, 
Here's what Paul's saying here. There's three things he's saying here this morning that I think God wants all of us to really know. First thing is the good churches do exist. They absolutely do. And you might be sitting there thinking, no, no, no. Like, I Seriously, they do. He's enriched your church. That's what Paul said to them. God has literally, you know what that means? God has made your church good. And as distinct from the different ways he's provided through different people, but now especially noticeably prominent in the Corinthian family, he says, and you've got gifts of eloquence. It's the Greek word logo. It comes from logos. And it means speaking. So there's a special love in your church of speaking. Now it's public speaking, yes. And public speaking, not just in your church, but that's really highly valued in Corinth. And in Greek society, Logos also includes other gifts of utterance. And he talks about them later in chapters 12 to 14. Knowledge, wisdom, tongues, prophecy. And then he says he's also given you guys the gift of knowledge. That's the Greek word gnose, comes from, comes from gnosis. Knowledge, knowledge is especially prized by the ancient Greeks. And this gnosis, it includes the gift of knowledge and the practice of that prophetic revelation. In other words, how to put that knowledge into action. You better believe it, friends. Good churches do exist. They did then and they do now. And God matches what he gives those churches, just like he did in Corinth, for what he needs in that church, in that place. Don't though, whatever you do, think, Good church equals big church. The bigger the church, the better. Don't fall for that, friends. Why do we say that? Because when Paul gives thanks for the good church at Corinth, you saw it, he doesn't even mention numbers. He doesn't talk about the size or the notoriety or the quality or the equipment or the building. It's the gifts that God has given. And then God gives good churches everything they need as well, friends. He does. In verse six, look at this. Um, this, um, this shows that what I've told you about Christ is true. Now you have every spiritual gift you need as you eagerly wait for the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. The gifts that the people of this church have and demonstrate, they're the evidence that what Paul and his co-workers had said and taught all along was true. And today, you know, like here in Mill Park Baptist Church, as we see gifts and abilities and passions expressed and even, even other things that happen too, not just through people, but we're filled with wonder month after month as God meets our financial needs. Like I've said so many times, like who, who goes and actually expands a budget by 20% in the name of mission in the middle of COVID? Who does that? Not many people do it, or not many churches do it, but then who actually sees God provide it and come in ahead of it? God gives everything you need to make a church good. And the third thing is that that only God can make a church good, friends. Look at this. He will keep you strong right up to the end, Paul says to the people. He'll keep you free from all blame on the great day when our Lord Jesus Christ returns. But look at this. God will surely do this for you, for he always does just what he says. And he's the one who invited you into this wonderful friendship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. 
that good church you've got there in Corinth, it's God's church. A good church is a God church. He gave you the generous gifts. He, he, he gave you every spiritual gift that you need. You know, the special abilities that the Holy Spirit gives only to people who follow Jesus so they can serve Him and actually show people who God is. He's gonna keep you strong. And what's remarkable, friends, and we're going to see this over the course of the year, is that this church that Paul's writing to and the current behaviour of that church when he's actually writing the letter from Ephesus, you know what? It's anything but blameless. There's some terrible things going on in this church. But see, Paul's confidence, look at those verses there. His confidence does not lie in the people of the church. And if he was here with us today, acting as God's messenger, he would not express confidence in me. And before you laugh at me, he wouldn't express confidence in you either. He wouldn't even express confidence in our youth leaders going on the camp in a couple of weeks. He wouldn't even say, you guys, it's all because of you and your pastor, Devo. Um, wouldn't express confidence in the kids' church team. Wouldn't express confidence in Shane Riley. Wouldn't expect, express actual confidence grounded primarily in those people because his confidence is in God. And hey, we know God works through people. So God does work through our state-of-the-art youth pastor and the youth leaders on the camp. Like God does work through them. They are awesome but it's God that's doing the work. You see, if your church is gonna be good, my friend, if your church is gonna go somewhere, and if you're visiting with us this morning, it is every bit as much for your church as it is for this church. Listen in, there's only one driver and there's only one vehicle to make that church good and it's not you. And it's certainly not me. And just as certainly, it's not good worship and great preaching. And it's not even awesome music. And you know what? I've got written here, I was going to mention the smoke machine and it was hissing just a minute ago. Can you hiss? It's not awesome music and smoke machines or lighting. None of that. None of that will ever make your church good. Look what Jesus said about His church. He said, I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. Who's it belong to? Not me, not you, not us. Remember, we're talking friends this morning about good. And we're talking about good by God's standards. Now, 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 all we're saying here, we're not, so we're not saying that a church is bad if it's got a good smoke machine or if it's got good lights or if it's got awesome preaching and music and like that doesn't make a church bad, but we're just saying it doesn't automatically make a church good. This week on Wednesday, Vector Free and Lisa Walton 
they're going to start in the office as our church administrators. Now, if you ask me, ask for my opinion, and if you go by all the feedback that we receive when we ask for any feedback once we announce their appointments, these two women, these two girls, both of them, they're not only high caliber girls and, and, and women, but they're also super competent in what they'll be doing. So mark my words, like I'll put my life on it. They'll be good. But that alone, you see, the fact that they're good won't make us a good church. Even the fact that they are good is because God made them good. And then if God chooses to use them, and I know he will, that's when they'll make our church good. Or if we reckon it's not too bad so far, then they'll just make our church better. See what we mean? The principle's clear, and here it is to remember this morning, anything, including a church or a person, truly good. In anything that's truly good, friends, is only good because of God. Good churches do exist. God gives them everything they need, and it's only Him that makes them good. And so anything that's truly good, it's because of Him. So I just want you to think in on this for a minute because I know you want a good church you want to be a part of a good church and I do too Billy Graham used to say by the way Dr Billy Graham used to say that if you find a perfect church don't join it because you'll wreck it Um, but actually it wasn't him that coined the phrase it was Charles Spurgeon look what he said look up here if I had never joined a church till I had found one that was perfect I should never have joined one at all and the moment I did join it if I had found one I should have spoiled it for it would not have been a perfect church after I had become a member of it. So still, imperfect as it is, it is the dearest place on earth to us. Friends, anything, including a church or a person truly good, it's only good because of God. So just, hey, you want to think, well, what am I going to do with this this week? A couple of suggestions. Firstly, make sure that you define good church the same way Jesus does. And you will learn that from the Bible. That's where you find out what what, what Jesus says about good church, okay? Not from somewhere else. Remember Get Smart? Who remembers Get Smart? Look at my favourite TV show from when I was a teenager, Secret Agent 86, all right? And um, and he, um, he used to say, like every couple shows, He'd get tricked by, you know, because he works for control and it's control versus chaos, good versus evil. And they'd trick him and then he'd lament. He'd say, the old garbage trick. It's the second time I've been, it's been pulled on me this month. The old picture in the keyhole trick. It's twice this week. Oh, of course, the old gun in the peg leg trick. You know, I used to talk about the old, all these old tricks. How did I fall for these old tricks? Friends, here's an old, old trick of the enemy. While Satan's got Jesus' followers running around looking for a good church. We call it church hopping, don't we? 
And there's nothing so wrong with church helping to find a good church. But like, have you ever spoken to someone who, or oh, we're looking for a good church, we're looking for church. And then when you talk to them two years later, guess what they're still doing? Still looking for a good church. So when Jesus' followers are doing that, they're not actually engaged in the work the church is doing. They're searching mountains high and valleys low for the good worship and the great teaching. And Satan is fooling them. And then they're enamored by the the big lights. He knows, but they don't always know that they're not seeing church like Jesus does. So that's the first one. Just remember, define good church the way that Jesus does. And remember that anything, including a church or a person truly good, is only good because of God. And secondly, always remember, friends, always remember who makes your church good. And give credit accordingly. Never, ever lose that. Keep reminding yourself. And then as a leadership community here in this church, we will try our very best this year again to keep it on the radar too. When you're, so, so say this week, your life group is good. Give, give thanks to God because it's Him and it's only Him that makes it good. And then suppose that, that, that your leader really is Cracker Jack. Well then, thank God for making her Cracker Jack. And then, thank her. You see the, see the flow? Because it's God and it's only good that makes anything about our church good. It's not us. It's not me, it's not you. Um, And then finally, just don't forget what God asks of you. Because this can all look really good, but what he asks of you to help make your church good. Listen to this. Your church will always, always, in 100% of instances, be better because of your contribution always and in contrast your church will always always be worse off without your contribution so when you view your church And not just your church out there, but you in your church, the way that Jesus asks you to. And by the way, I think the clearest expression of that in the whole Bible is in this very book, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Like to me, it's like if you want to sum up in, in, in one chapter anywhere in the whole Bible, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And friends, like if you can read that and then come see me and convince me that you now don't have a part to play in that church like kill me now you got a part to play anything including a church or a person truly good is only good because of God would you join me and let's pray together and as we pray I just want you to dream with me here for a bit right so, so um, you either close your eyes if you want to or just 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 Try not to be, you know, looking around at everything else. Just think on this with me. Just, just, just indulge me and dream with me. Can you imagine it? The church that Jesus said that he would build. He said he would build it on a rock and that all the powers of hell would not be able to conquer it. 
And so that means that no COVID restrictions, no religious discrimination bill that doesn't make it through the Senate, no gag orders, no vaccine mandates, no nothing will ever stop the church of Jesus Christ. That's the battle hymn of the Republic that we've heard before, friends. His truth is marching on. Nothing will ever stop it. And the more you try to stop it, the better it'll go. That's why, you know, like right through COVID, I know it's natural. People panic, 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 panic for what God's doing, what's, what's happening to the church. Friends, it's like they've tried that all history to try and wipe the church out. It's never worked and it never will. So you imagine that because that is His vision for this place as well. And it's not so much necessarily for the building you're sitting in or the chair you're sitting on, but it's for the people around you. It's for the family. It's for the community. And while ever we might be fussing around peripheral things or smoke machines or music or lights or programs or food or whatever it is, or dreaming or daydreaming, or going looking for a church. If we're fussing about that, well, we're not just defining good like Jesus defines good. Because all the while Jesus is saying, He's happy to do that work right here. I don't know about you, but I want to be part of it. Thank you, Jesus. Thanks for speaking to us through your powerful word. Thanks for reminding us of these things. Thank you, Lord. I thank you so much for our church. I thank you for other churches. There will be people who are visiting here today and they represent other churches. We want to thank you for those churches too. Um, And Lord, we thank you for what you've done in this church, for what you're doing today and for all that you will do in the time, in the days, in the months, in the weeks, the weeks and the months ahead. Thank you, Jesus. And for each one of us, thank you that you're working in our hearts you love us you care about us intimately Jesus you died on a criminal's cross and you did it for each one of us and if there was no one else in the world apart from us you would have died for me and for each of my brothers and sisters who are here. Thank you, Jesus. Thanks for speaking to us today. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Hey, I love you guys. Thanks for listening in. Thank you.